The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Thank you for those that were praying for me uh, during this week. I've been away in Kenya. Had a quick visit out to Kenya with Pastor Mark Daniel, and uh, we had a conference there. Um, few flights. You know one of those situations? I'm one of those people that like to be at the airport. I don't care if I'm at the airport early. I don't mind. I'm going to catch the flight. I'm going to get us from Eldoret to Nairobi. It's a little hopper type plane. Get there. This is, oh, it's 10 minutes late. <laughs> 10 minutes. That's fine. Which went to 20 minutes. Which went to half an hour. When is this plane coming, madam? Oh, it's just leaving at the moment, you know. No, an hour and 10 minutes later. And you know how that's like. You think, no, it's going to be a Jesus. It's going to be okay. You're in control of all things, Jesus. I kept telling Mark Daniel that, anyway. Um, it's just like you feel that stress rising, rising. And then we had to get you, when you come into Nairobi Airport, you come into some sort of little terminal, and then you have to catch a hopper bus that goes to the main terminal. You know, and you think, like, is it all going to be together? Praise the Lord, it all came together. <laughs> You know, when you go, to, and then you, you've got to go through, when you get into the airport, they take you through security, pre-security, just for a joke, you know, like you go through that security, then you check in, then you go through security, anyway, I'm here, and bless God, he has been good, and I hope he's been good to you this week, uh, do keep praying for those people at, uh, our young people at Soul Survivor, we want them to encounter God at that time, to be encouraged, so during this week, when you're just putting your head on that pillow of yours, tucking under that nice warm duvet, just remember, not everyone is in the same situation. They're hearing that of the zip in the tent door and uh, or whatever's going on. So let's just pray for them and continue praying for them. Um, we've been going through this series of Marked, and we've been having various preachers. I haven't preached here for the last couple of weeks. We've had four other people bringing messages. They've done brilliantly, and it's been very encouraging to hear different words. I said to them, I said, look, you come and each of you speak for 15 minutes. <laughs> right, I don't know where they took their cue from me, but we'll be having words about that. Um, we've been talking about Mark's gospel and messages that have come from Mark or messages of God that have marked our lives. And we've been hearing some personal testimony and some encouragement from those that have been sharing with us. And so we're blessed by that. I'm just going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I arrest every demonic force in this house in the name of Jesus. I power is subject to your name, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. We pray now, Father, for healing for Penny in Jesus' name. And deliverance. You sent forth your word and you healed them. Therefore, in the name of Jesus... We send forth the name of Jesus into Penny's life, that she may be well and healthy and strong in Jesus' name, in mind, body, and soul. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, you are good all the time. You are worthy, worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration. There is none like you. 
In all of the heavens, in all of the earth, there is none like you. You who are the sustainer and creator. You who are the mighty one, the mighty one of Israel, the holy one, we worship and adore you. You truly are worthy of our praise and the adoration of our hearts. We lift up our praise unto you. Father, may those angels come to minister your grace and your mercy into our lives. Father, as we've been singing, angels come from above bringing echoes of mercy and whispers of love. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Today we're looking at this subject. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Now that is a question that is asked not only of people in the Gospels as they're looking and trying to find out about Jesus Christ, but it is also a question that is on many people's lips around us today. Who is this Jesus? It's not just the case of people trying to understand him. He was a man. Jesus of Nazareth was a signs, wonders, and miracles. And people struggle to understand, who is this Jesus? Is that a question that you might even be in the house of God today because you're interested in finding out more about him? May God, by his grace, minister to us and give us wisdom and revelation. People were trying to find out who Jesus was. Last time we spoke, I looked at Mark chapter 5. We were looking at Jairus and his daughter. Jairus' daughter was sick, and so this leader of uh, a synagogue came to Jesus to say, Jesus, will you come and will you heal my daughter? He had confidence in what he had seen about Jesus, that Jesus was able to do something in the life of his daughter. But in the process of getting Jesus to his daughter, the news came to the synagogue leader, Jairus. Hey, forget it. She's died. And, and there's that sense of, what? I guess we might as well give up. But Jesus turns to Jairus and he tells him, listen, just have faith. Just have faith. And we know that Jesus went on and he raised this little girl from the dead so that she was made well again and brought back to her parents. And in that same chapter, chapter 5 of Mark, we're reading about how Jesus went to the Gerasenes and how he actually delivered a man from demonic oppression, a man who could not be held. It says that they could not hold him. That is, they couldn't chain him and capture him. Because when they chained him, he broke the chains off because of the demonic strength that was inside of him. But Jesus came. When Jesus comes... The tempter's power is broken. When Jesus comes, the tears are wiped away. He takes the life and fills it up with glory. For all is changed when Jesus comes to town. And when we can, there's a song that you could sing. I could sing it, but I won't this morning. When Jesus comes, everything changes. Jesus had the power to deliver this man from his demons. And it says that he was found sitting, clothed, and in his right mind and talking with Jesus. And we read also in that chapter of the woman who came. She had a, a condition that she kept bleeding. Unclean. She was unclean. She'd been to the doctors for many years. Sarah spoke a bit about this a couple of weeks ago. And yet Jesus came. And when she touched his cloak, she was made whole. 
Things were happening around this man, Jesus. But he was a man. They knew about him. He lived amongst them. And yet miraculous signs and wonders were happening with him. Who was this man? As I said, lots of people were asking questions. And we have to go back, as it were, to the Old Testament to understand why they were asking some of these questions and what they were looking for. When we go back to the Old Testament, we see that God, through his prophets, was declaring that a Messiah was going to come. An anointed one was going to come among his people. And he was going to rescue his people. And so for the people of Israel, they'd seen the prophets come and they'd come and they'd gone. In fact, the last major prophet of Israel had now been some 400 years ago. And the people were waiting. When was God going to come and help his people? When were some of the things that God had said were going to happen, when would they actually happen? Isn't that something that we feel today? Sometimes we're asking in our prayers, God, when are you going to answer? We're reading in the Word of God that Jesus is going to come back again. When is that going to happen? And sometimes in my own spirit, I feel like, oh, Lord, when? And then other times when I see the people around me who have yet to come to know Jesus, I think in my heart, Lord, but not yet. Give us more time before you come again. But these people were looking, who was this Messiah? When is this Messiah going to come? And they believed that when the Messiah did come, then he was going to sort out all sorts of things. But what was he like and what was he going to do? There's just three things I'm just going to briefly share about what he was going to be like. Firstly, he was to be a prophet. And in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, ages before Moses the great leader of Israel had said this to the people. He said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. So they were expecting, because of Moses, their leader had said, look, I'm gonna, God is going to raise up a prophet like I am amongst you. They were expecting to have a prophet come amongst them. Where was this prophet? Where was he coming? And in Isaiah 52 verses 13 to 15. In fact, we could have read a lot more into Isaiah 53. We see of a suffering servant. There was this expectation that not only were we going to have a prophet, there was going to be some sort of servant of God, and this servant was going to suffer. And in Isaiah 52, 13, it says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him for, they were not to, for what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. There was going to be one who was going to be a prophet he was going to be a servant of God. He was going to do the things that God asked him to do. And thirdly, there was going to be somebody who would do miracles. Again in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 35, 5 and 6 says this, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The people of Israel were looking for this Messiah. They were wondering, when is he going to come? And how will he come? How will we recognize him? Well, they were looking for the, some of these signs. Were they going to recognize him? 
Well, I want to look this morning really across the Gospels in what time we've got. We'll see how we'll get on. Looking at some passages to help us to see some of the questions that were being raised and some of the reactions that people had to understanding who Jesus really was. And firstly, we're going to start with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a very key figure, obviously. Um, John the Baptist really started a revival movement in Israel. Because out of nowhere, this came this rather strange fellow. He was dressed in strange clothes. It says he ate wild honey and locusts. That was his meal. I don't know how many people here are looking forward to that when they get home uh, after this service. A meal of locusts and honey. But that's the sort of thing that John was eating. And he was found in the desert places. But then he came out and he started preaching powerfully to people. John never did any signs or wonders. But he preached powerfully and he was preaching about one who was to come. And he was preaching to people that they need to repent of their sins. And the message that he bore had such power and authority that it touched people's lives. And so people weren't just saying, oh yeah, nice message. People's lives were being, look, I need to live differently. I've been living as a Jew, but I've not been living the way that God wants me to live. Hey, I'm going to confess my sins publicly and I'm going to be baptized. And since because of the baptizing that he did to show that people were serious about responding to his message, he was known as John the Baptist. And he was having such a stir that the religious leaders were saying like, well, who is this guy? What's going on? Now remember that people are looking for the Messiah. They're looking for a prophet. They're looking for somebody who's going to be doing some powerful things. And there's no doubt that John's ministry was so powerful, it was stirring things up. Don't forget, normally people would be going down the road to the synagogue. But now they're going out of Jerusalem to the desert to meet this sort of weird character. But things were happening. Their lives were being transformed. They were coming back, as it were, on fire with the things of God. Because they were being made serious with God. So he was stirring up. So what we find as we look in John's Gospel... People, the religious leaders sent people to John to say, who are you? Who are you? Give us an answer, it says, to take back to those who sent us. And so in John 1 verse 20 it says, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. So you can imagine the disappointment. But you can also imagine now why he is saying that. Because people are looking for the Christ. They are looking for the Messiah to come. And so they say, are you him? Who are you? What's going on? You're having a stir and you're, you're, you're sorting people out and things are being changed around Jerusalem. In fact, you're causing such a revival movement, we want to know who you are. Well, I'm not the Christ, says John. And then the natural question is, say, well, hang on a second. If you're not him, then who are you? And then they went on to say, are you Elijah? Now, the reason they would have asked him whether he was Elijah is this. It's because in the prophet Malachi had been said, before the coming of the Lord, then Elijah will come again. I could quote that to you exactly. but I said, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. That's what Malachi had said. So they were expecting, okay, if it's not the Messiah, then are you Elijah and again, looking at John, they were hoping for an answer. And of course, John comes back and says, no, I'm not. 
Now it's interesting, if we follow Jesus' ministry later in the Gospels, we will see that Jesus makes reference of this fact of John the Baptist, that he was the Elijah to come. But John himself is having none of that. No, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the Messiah. Well, who on earth are you? What's your role? And of course, John the Baptist says, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. But as we read that story, and we see the climate that there is, the climate as in not as the temperature, but what is going on politically, what is going on with people's thinking, what they're looking for, the religious people, what they're looking for, they're looking out to see whether God is going to send his Messiah, and they're trying to find out exactly what's going on with John the Baptist. Again, in John's Gospel, if we were to go to John chapter 4, we read the story there of the woman at the well. One of the things that the Jews were believing for, as I've mentioned, is the fact that there were going to be miracles being done by the Messiah. And Isaiah 11 also says this, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, that is the servant of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so the Jews were expecting when the Messiah comes, he will not only do miracles, but he will be able to reveal the secrets of people's hearts. That's the sort of thing that he will be doing. So when people saw that happening, that would be a sign of the Messiah. Now Jesus goes to Samaria, he sits down by a well, and there's a woman there who comes to get a drink. And he has interaction with her. Many of you would be familiar with that story from John chapter 4. But as he's talking to her, Jesus says, well, go and get your husband. And she says, oh, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus just says to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now living with is not your husband. Now, when somebody suddenly speaks right into your life, and they tell you exactly what's going on, you feel opened up. This is what Jesus was able to do. But look at the reaction of the lady. For later on, she went to the people in her town and she said this, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ, she said? Could this be the Messiah? Because you see, she'd had her life opened up. She'd had her secrets being revealed to her. Not in a horrible way, but in a way that actually helped her come towards God. So we see what's going on amongst people. The religious leaders, however, were struggling themselves to understand exactly who Jesus was. Nicodemus, if you know the story of Nicodemus, he came, he was one of the uh, religious leaders, a member of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, and he came to Jesus at night. In John chapter 3, we read of this. Nicodemus, he says, Rabbi, we know... And the fact that he said, we know, it wasn't just indicating himself, he was indicating the thinking and the conversations that were happening amongst the Sanhedrin. We know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. You see, the religious leaders of the day, they were being stirred. We know that they had many questions, but they were recognizing what this man Jesus was doing. And yet they couldn't quite work it all out in their minds. He's doing these amazing things, but he heals people on the the Sabbath. And that doesn't quite fit with our law. So they had all these questions. 
And yet, obviously, their hearts were being opened because we see that with Nicodemus. However, the Pharisees, again, religious leaders, their comment was to say to Jesus, give us a sign. Look, I'll tell you what, if you are who you say you are, give us a sign to show it. How often do we find when we speak to people, maybe at work or our neighbours or something, and they say, I wish I, I wish I could have the faith that you have. And you find yourself saying, but of course you can have the faith that I have. Because God, does no, he, he's no respecter of people. He wants to give it to everybody. Oh, no. I tell you what, if only God would give me a sign, then I would believe. We still find this language being used today. In those days, the Pharisees said to Jesus, hey, give us a sign. And Jesus says, look, signs? You people, you can tell the signs of the weather. Red sky at night, next day's going to be great. All that sort of thing. You can tell when you see storm clouds that rains is coming. You can read the signs of the weather, but you can't read the signs of the times. I wonder how true that is of people today too. When we see even in the papers this week of terrible disasters, who can stop something awful happening like that? Nobody. There are disasters that happen. There's economic disasters. There's also there's floods in India, things happening all around the world. Terrible things happening. The moral climate of our nations is going down. It's not getting better. Things are getting worse than they used to be. It's almost like if we look back to our own parents who maybe have gone from this earth, if they were to come back and they were to see some of the things that are being shown on TV, they would be telling us off. You can't watch this. We're not having this. Because there's been such a change in the moral climate of our nation. Do we recognize the signs of the times that are around us? Or are we saying to Jesus, hey, I will believe in you, but you need to show me a sign. The Pharisees were like that. Jesus turned to them and said, listen, I'm not going to be giving you any signs. You can't even interpret the signs of the day. The only sign you are going to receive is the sign of Jonah. Now, I'm sure when they heard that, they thought, what? A man going inside a fish? I don't understand that. But, of course, Jesus was referring to the fact that he was going to be going into the grave for three days and coming out again, just as Jonah had been in the fish for three days and was made alive again. So Jesus gave the Pharisees, these religious leaders, he gave them the answer, no, you're not having any signs. Because it's not about what you see, it's about having faith. It's about having faith. And we need to remember that. Even Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says that mankind is without excuse. Men and women of today are without excuse. We ourselves are without excuse if we think there is no God. Because all around us, It says that God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. In other words, creation declares the glory of God. Creation tells us that there is a God. Now, you know what? One of the reasons I was looking at this whole thing of the Messiah and seeing how difficult it was for people to actually grasp who Jesus was it's because we face so many doubts in our own minds. You come to church because I believe in Jesus. And yet, how much do you believe in him, if we can use that phrase? How much are we really given our hearts to him? Can we really trust him? Can we really believe him? Will he really look after us? Does he really know what he's doing? Why does he allow things to happen? Why has this happened in my life? We have to trust. 
that he who knows the plans of all things, who knows the end from the beginning, is able to take us through. Our position is not to complain. Our position is to declare to him, Lord, I'm trusting in you. I'm holding on to you. We heard when Shay was talking the other Sunday, he was sharing some of the difficulties that they were going through in their own life. What did he have to do when the storm was coming around him? I have to fix my eyes on Jesus because he is the only one who can take me through. We want to be confident in who Jesus is. And as I share these things, when you go back to read the Gospels, I hope that you will see for yourselves some of these questions and some of these statements and begin to realize I understand this is, Jesus is the Messiah. He's not just a man. He's not just a good person. He is the anointed one of God who has been, who has been sent to help us and to, to teach us and to lead us into the ways of God. I think I've overlooked something that I wanted to share with you. Yes. So... When people are talking about Christ in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is what we, a phrase we would know. But when people are talking about Christ, Christ is the word, is the Greek word translated from Hebrew, meaning anointed one. And when you're talking about the Messiah, really the word is anointed one. In Hebrew, it is mashika, mashika which is transliterated as Messiah. But it actually means anointed one. So when you say, what is the phrase in Greek for anointed one? It's not Mashika, it's Christ, Christos. So when you read in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, what you're actually reading is Jesus the Messiah. Or in its real understanding, Jesus the anointed one. Because he was anointed by God, to do the things of God upon the earth. That's why he was the anointed one. So I just say that so you've got some understanding. So when you're saying Jesus Christ, what you are actually claiming is Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah of God that has come amongst us. And so we are proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. So I just say that so you have some understanding. People, as I've, already, as I've said to you, people knew that miracles were going to be a sign of the Messiah. And uh, later in John the Baptist's life, having had this encounter with Jesus, having uh, baptized Jesus, having seen the heavens open over Jesus and seen the dove come down on Jesus when he was baptizing him and knowing that that was a sign that God had told him that this was going to be the one who was going to baptize in the Holy Spirit, John later gets put into prison. And we find that when he's in prison... He starts to mull it. Was that really the one? Is Jesus really the one? Now, I just hold on this. Carlise last week was talking about this issue of doubts. You know, like, here's John the Baptist. Well, surely he couldn't have had any doubts. He was a man tuned into God. He was a man who led revival. And I do say this to encourage us. Doubts come to everybody. Because the enemy wants to throw us off track. The enemy wants to keep us from fulfilling destiny. But our task is to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what we need to do. We see that John the Baptist sent some of his friends. They came to Jesus from John bringing this question. John the Baptist would like to know, 
are you really the one who was to come? And what does Jesus say to him? He doesn't say, yes, I am. I am the Messiah. He says, the blind see, the deaf hear. In other words, what he was saying is, look, I'm doing miracles. I'm doing the things that the Messiah is supposed to do. So go back to John and tell him what you've seen and what you're hearing and encouraging him. The Messiah was to do signs, wonders and miracles and that is what Jesus sent back to John to have that message. When Jesus came into Jerusalem on the day that we would call Palm Sunday, there was great celebration. We know that people were rejoicing, they were throwing their cloaks in the road. As Jesus came in on the, on the back of a donkey, they were laying down palm trees before him, hence the name Palm Sunday, and people were getting very excited. Matthew 21 describes this particular scene. Verse 8, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, you could read that and you just say, Okay, that's fine. They were getting excited. In that passage, there's lots of mentions of the fact of who Jesus is. Lastly, I just said there, this is Jesus the prophet. What they were alluding to is, this is the prophet that Moses spoke about. This is the one that we have been told about. This is the prophet from Nazareth. This is the one that God has promised us. So the people were literally on that day proclaiming the Messiah is here. But we've also read that they said, Hosanna to the son of David. Another one of the signs of the Messiah was that he was going to be David's son. Now, they weren't exactly sure what that meant, except they were expecting the lineage of David to be one who was going to be the Messiah. And of course, in the scriptures, you see the lineage of David being marked out all the time. Because uh, uh, God had promised David that somebody from his line was going to sit on the throne. And so that's why they shout, blessed uh, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So on that day of Palm Sunday, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, the crowds were in effect saying, the anointed one has come. The Messiah has come. And that's why it's so surprising to see that within the space of just a week, the one that they had been announcing as the Messiah was the one that they freely wanted to murder and to put on the cross. Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles. In John 7, we read of Jesus going up to Jerusalem to one of the feast days. The feast, in this case, the Feast of Tabernacles. Let me read to you. John 7, verse 25. At that point, some people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? This is when Jesus is standing up and beginning to preach to the crowd. Here he is, they say, speaking publicly, and yet they, that is the religious leaders, are not saying a word to him. He then goes on to say this, have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? So again, because we're reading the word Christ, have the authorities really concluded that Jesus is the Messiah? 
the one who was supposed to be sent to us. But then it goes on to say, but we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. You see, the people in Jerusalem, they were working out, have the authorities now concluded that he is the Messiah? And yet, if he's the Messiah, we're not supposed to know where the Messiah comes from. And yet we do know him because they knew that this was Jesus of Nazareth. They knew him as the carpenter's son. And so they couldn't get it in their own thinking. How can I relate this man to also being God? Isn't that the sort of trouble that we have? Although Jesus is not here, when we're reading the scriptures, can this really be true? Can I really believe that this man is the one who he said he is? Knowing where Jesus was from certainly was a problem. There's another passage in Mark's Gospel where Jesus says he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he went into the teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. You see here, people were saying, like, We know this guy. We know him. He lives down the street. We know where his home is. We know what he does for a living. We know his brothers and sisters. And yet the truth is, if they had really understood, they would know that Jesus was born of a virgin. So though he was in a family, he wasn't the same as everybody else. And they would have understood more about him. Sometimes in our minds, we can't actually see or get beyond what our thinking is. And so we get locked in mindsets, and we can't actually see through situations. It always amazes me when I read that passage, and I feel so sad. And I look at myself, and I think, that's what I'm like sometimes. I just don't seem to be able to look past what's going on around me. And you know, sometimes when we have circumstances that come against us, the circumstances can always overcome us whether it be problems at work, I'm just about to lose my job, or I've lost, you know, I haven't got enough money for this, or some other problem comes up, difficulty, health issues, they seem to rise up so much that we can't look beyond them. And it's like we're saying that, oh, you know, how can I get through this? Does nobody care? Nobody worry? But God is bigger than all of those problems. Just as Jesus in his hometown, he was God. He was the Messiah. But they could only see, oh, this is his brother, that's his mother, that's his father. He works in the carpentry shop. We need to be able to look beyond our problems. It's not that we belittle our problems, but why should our problems be bigger than God himself? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's what the word says. If God be for us, 
Who can be against us? And our job in the midst of our problems, and I'm not denying that they're problems, and I'm not denying that they shake us, and I'm not denying that sometimes we're in tears because of the pressure and the pain that we feel, but we need to get our eyes on Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God. We need to understand who he is. He is the anointed one of God who was sent from heaven to help the people on earth. He is the one who has a kingship and a rulership, a kingdom that we belong to. We're part of that kingdom. And as we realize who we are, we gain strength over the problems that come against us. And sometimes we really need to press into this. If you've been in that situation where you've thought like, yeah, I'm really going to press into Jesus. I've got a health issue. I've just heard this from the doctors. It's terrifying me. I don't know what the prospects are. I don't know. And so you press into Jesus, but it's almost like, oh, but the mind keeps going back to the things that you're facing. You keep getting taken back to the circumstances that are around you. This is where we have to take our stand in God. And we literally have to speak to the mountains that are around us. I'm not having this. I'm not having that. Doubt and fear, I command you to leave my life. You have no place because Jesus Christ has said he will never leave me, he will never forsake me. We need to start declaring the word of God. We know that the word of the Lord is the sword of the Spirit. And as we speak it out, we are speaking to powers and principalities and we're using the sword of the Spirit against them. So as we stand there and declare, hey, wait one moment. I'm not having confusion and doubt come against me. I am standing here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He has said he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. So I'm standing here and I'm declaring to every power and principality. I'm bringing myself under the authority of God because the word of God says if we submit to him and resist the devil, then the devil must flee from us. So I'm believing the word and I'm declaring the word and standing on the word. Folks, we need to do this so that we may be strong in God. Because he has given us authority. The name that is above every name is the name of Jesus. It is higher than any other name. He is the only uncreated one. Have you thought of that? Everything else has been made. The demons, they've been made. They were created by God. God himself is the uncreated one. Above him, there is no higher authority. This is the God that we serve. And Jesus is his anointed servant who was sent for us. Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God. Lastly, I just want to look at Peter's confession. You know, there was that time with Jesus with his disciples, and he said to them, hey, guys, as you're gathering around, who do people say that I am? Why was he asking that question? Because he's trying to find out, what are the people thinking? He knows who he is. He knows what he's come to do. But is it like, am I talking to you this morning? Are you understanding this, or is this just going over your heads? It's that sort of conversation. It's like, guys, what's going on? Who do people say that I am? And of course, some people say this, some people say that. But who do you say that I am? And he looks at Peter, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, Peter, blessed are you, Peter, for this hasn't been revealed by man, but God has revealed this to you. And you know what we need? We need fresh revelation from God. 
of exactly who Jesus is in our lives. The more we understand him and know him, then the more that we can do for him and the closer we will feel to him and the strength that we'll get from that is incredible. Now, I also want to say that, of course, for Peter, it was only a few minutes later when Jesus was actually saying what he was going on to do. He's almost like, okay, I've reached a point now. I hear that you know that I am the Messiah. Great. Now, listen, let me tell you, the Messiah has got to go to Jerusalem and many things are going to happen to him and he's going to be killed and he's going to rise up. No, 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 don't let that happen, says Peter. And the next thing we find is that Peter is going to be, get behind me, Satan, because you do not have in mind, you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. So, even poor Peter, once we receive revelation, it doesn't mean that we've got everything right. It just means to say that we need to keep holding on to Jesus. We need to keep holding on to Jesus. Now, I don't know what situation you're facing. I know there are different things that different people are, are struggling with, health issues, financial issues, family issues, all sorts of things. But listen, are you... Do you know that Jesus is the anointed one of God and that he is able to help you? That he is the highest authority that there is? Have you felt in your heart that God has quickened you to say, look, I believe in Jesus? But let me ask you, does the enemy keep trying to snatch that away from you? Do you find that you have a lot of doubts and fears that come against your mind? That you seem to battle with? It's time to arise against those things. It's time for us, as we read in Corinthians, to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Christ. In other words, to say, like, hang on, do these thoughts line up with what God says? Because if they don't, then they need to go. And with a God who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, then has the truth of what he says. And so we need to believe the truth and not listen to the voices because the voices will keep coming against us, but we need to tell those voices to go. So Peter's confession, I think, was so strong. As I was reading about the woman at the well, which I don't know whether it's one of my favourite passages, but I am always moved by that passage. I read it again yesterday morning and... Jesus, in his interaction with this woman, because she was asking him about religious things, so she was saying, look, where should we be worshipping? Should we be worshipping at this mountain or whatever? And Jesus says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is of the Jews. Now, I, I read that for myself, and he's talking about the Samaritans, and as you may or may not know, the Jews and the Samaritans had lots of arguments with each other. It's because, although they were originally one nation, divided into two, Samaria is found in, in, the, in the, the northern part of Israel, where Judah is the south part. And in the northern part, they went off under Jeroboam to serve other idols. And then eventually, not only serving other idols, they refused to come to Jerusalem, which was supposed to be the focal point of their religion. 
They, they basically, it, Jerusalem's too far, said Jeroboam. Let's make this place a place where you can worship. And so they were drawn away from what God had said. And then when the Assyrians came, the Assyrians took most of the Israelites into captivity and they replaced those that they took away with their own people. So then, then there became this mix of Jews and Gentiles and it sort of corrupted the whole of the religion. And so from that point on, even in fact when the Jews came back to re-establish and build the temple in Jerusalem, there was a lot of animosity because the Samaritans kept saying, no, we don't want this, we don't want this, we want to have our own temple, we want it to be built in Samaria, and things like that. And so there was this enmity that had established over many years between the Samaritans and the Jews. But Jesus says to this woman, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. Let me ask you, do you worship God, but you don't really know him? That's the message that I felt in my heart. Do you worship God and yet not really know him? I know his name. I know the Bible. I can sing songs. Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. Do you worship him? Do you really know him? You Samaritans, you worship what you don't really know. But we Jews, says Jesus, we worship who we know. I don't know about you, but I want to know him. This is eternal life, it says in John's Gospel, that you might know him, the only true God, and Jesus, the Messiah, whom he has sent. I want to encourage you. Look into your hearts. Do you know him? Are you hungering for him? Are you just being religious about the way you go through things? Or are you really seeking for him? We want to seek for Jesus, because we want him to come to us. Victoria, do you want to come up and guys? Let me just pray. Father, we want to know you. We want to be like Paul that says, I want to know you and I want to know the power of your resurrection in my life. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would quicken our hearts this morning afresh with faith in you that we would see that you're not just Jesus, but that you are Jesus Christ, the anointed one of God, the one who was sent to help us, the one who can help us, the one who longs to be alongside us and to lead us each step of the way. Father, help us to open our lives more and more to you, that you may have your way with us, in us and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.